Hey there, we're those sci-fi guys. This is that those sci-fi guys show. Just two working dudes, different lives, different jobs, but a whole lot of love for science fiction and the fun that comes with. We are your hosts. I am P.S. McKay. Pouring one out. I'm T.T. Catman. Don't waste alcohol. Oh, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> I'm looking behind me. As if, as if someone's like, you know, judging it or something. So, <laughs> uh, how are things, ZT? Things are going all right. You know, uh, just getting settled. Uh, finally, had bulk pickup come by and clean out a lot of uh, the boxes and other detritus from the move. So oh, that's relieving. Our garage. And a good chunk of our basement. So nice. The basement still needs some work, but the heavy lifting's done. Uh, did you have a good weekend? We did. It's funny you mentioned the garage and, and reclaiming it. We have half reclaimed our garage since the pandemic took it over, and because the one of the springs on our garage door broke, we had two springs and one of them broke, but it was still functional. But we didn't want to chance it, so we just left it. And then, you know, it was at the very beginning of the pandemic, and we didn't want to call anyone to come to our house. Because, mm. you know, are you crazy? So, <laughs> at the well, time. <laughs> Wait, you're crazy? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean. Well established. Yeah. So, <laughs> And so we didn't call, and then the, I don't know, the garage got, just got filled up. And finally, we cleaned it out after we got a new car, and we could park the new car in. After about two weeks of being able to do that, the garage door breaks and falls off the track. It was, so, yeah. <laughs> so we're stuck at square one again where we're parking the car outside the <laughs> garage until we call someone this weekend to set up a time and everything, because... I didn't want to call while I was sick because, again, that's just courteousness. So, yeah. you know, but uh, good for you, man. It's really hard to reclaim a garage. You got to be on top of that. Well, the garage was uh, only really being used as storage because, you know, we could and uh, we wanted stuff to go back uh, anyway. You know, it was getting tired of all the space being used so i mean that's what we did we just reclaimed it we needed it done that way i feel better yeah and especially since uh saturday morning i went and got myself a snowblower it's being delivered on thursday so look at you highfalutin well my knees aren't what they used to be. I'm getting any younger, so. Use any excuse you can to get that blower, my friend. Use any excuse you can. Oh, uh, it wasn't just me. Wife was on board with that 100%. Oh, nice. Did you grow up, did your parents have a blower? Um, yeah. I've... For, for a while it didn't work, and I was the equivalent, and then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why have why why fix it when you have a perfectly good shoveler that's you know between the ages of twelve and eighteen? <laughs> then my dad did get it fixed and um, used it for a while, but he's he's getting older. He 
you know, you, they got a lawn dude or they got a, a landscaper that's done most of the trees in their area, cut them back and, and such. And so they've been paying this guy to come by during some of the big snows. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. So I can't wait till I get to that age. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? I had this. I was telling my doctor this the other day. Um, uh, I was. What was it? Oh, we, I was talking about how my son finally entered middle school. And I said that time's going by way too quick. And he was like, he's got this great attitude. He's like, no, time's not going by fast. It's that there's so much of a good time you're having. It feels like it's going too fast. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're absolutely correct. That is, that's refreshing to think about. I like that. Um, and then I, and then I told him the story about how when my son was first born, we had a very hard time teaching him how to nurse. Mm. That's as far as I'll go there. But long story short, we gave him the, uh, we gave him the pacifier too much, or at least we thought we did. And we thought we screwed it all up and we were all really upset that first night. And then um, a, fr a family friend of ours came and they had like a 10 month old baby who was laying down in the middle of our room, holding the bottle by by herself. And I saw that and I'm like, I want to skip to that. I want to get to that level where I don't need to worry about my child being unable to intake nutrition <laughs> you know and then and then uh, that was when my wife looked at me and said are you insane so you just want to skip like the most important parts of your child's life to get to a part where you don't need to worry about working to make them eat and i was like well when you put it like that that sounds awfully selfish You know, yes, but there's also times where you like you kind of wish that the kid was more, more interactive. You know, you want yeah. <laughs> but then there's times when they get older where you're like, I just wish they would snuggle up in my lap anymore. You know? Oh yeah. Is that with my daughter? Huh? Yeah, my daughter never did that. I mean, she did it very rarely with me at, at all. My son still does it. And I, I'll, I treasure it. He's almost 13. And it's those days are numbered real, real low. Well, <laughs> like, <laughs> here's the thing about leaving for long periods of time. Kids don't like that. So no. They can get very clean. And especially if you almost die really <laughs> I remember it must have been the first morning I was back stateside after I got sick I was this is like what August or September of 2020 or something like that yeah I was in bed I think I want to say my wife actually had to go to work and I'm lying in bed you know, just resting. I was still pretty weak. I was also kind of, no, I had a rough night too. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid though. Got up to pee in the middle of the night and 
I'd been living in the same room for like five weeks. And I was half asleep, peed, and turned in the direction that I thought I was turning. Oh. And went right into the tub. Oh, God. Oh. Did you knock down the curtain? No, I did. Um, I think I sprained two fingers. Oh. <laughs> two weeks. Oh, my God. Yeah, because you don't want to crack. It's either sprain two fingers or crack your head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so my wife comes rushing, and she's like, oh, my God, what happened? I'm like, I, I just forgot where I was. And I, mm-hmm. plus, I was also so weak that any friction just, I went down. So she yeah. get up and hobbled back to bed. Uh-huh. So, needless to say, I was pretty wiped the next morning. Sure. I get a text message from my my kid, and mind you, you know, uh, she was nine and a half. But she texts oh, me. She goes, "Can I come snuggle you?" Oh. So I just texted, "Yes, come on up." <laughs> Came up and she crawled into the bed and she just kind of snuggled with me. She's she's done that. That after almost every deployment. Well, she needs to know you're real. I mean, yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there are still times where we'll curl up on the couch her and I and watch a, a show together and she'll just snuggle up. I, too, know those days are numbered, but. Yeah, and but I bet you. I bet you haven't experienced the unadulterated uh, glare from your daughter wishing that you had never been born. Um, I get the annoyed. <laughs> I don't. Why can't I do things my way? Uh, <laughs> I know that look. Yeah, and I'll get the. But I want to do this, and I, after I said no, and you know, of course, there's all the parenting challenges, and it is what it is. So you've just got to work on it. You've got to be receptive. It's not always easy. It can't always be our way, but you know. Yeah. No, this is true. Now, let me ask you one more thing, and it's not parenting related, but it's in relation to your garage and the gloriousness that of you that, that you you had in in reclaiming it. After so many moves, I mean, you lived a pretty nomadic life for most of your adult life. All of my Are, adult. Yeah, I, I you know I don't want to generalize, but yeah, um, but <laughs> are there certain boxes? that just have stayed packed that you're you haven't even gotten to yet because you know it's there and i'll eventually get to it but it's been packed since you graduated from college um there's definitely been boxes that haven't been opened in several moves and we are trying to get into them yeah uh, to get rid of stuff i mean there have been boxes that i opened one or two times even on this recent move, I was boxed it open and it was had few items back from before I was married. I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't looked at this in like 15 years. 
So, yeah, I mean, there's stuff we're all going through. Yeah. We've got well, a ton. You got through a ton? We've gotten rid of a ton. Oh, nice. I mean, like, probably literally we've gotten rid of it. <laughs> all of the furniture we did not bring. Oh, man. Yeah, I can't even imagine. We bought basically an entire new downstairs. Yeah. Plus the Jeez patio. Louise. And the patio set, which I'm jealous of. That's a great patio set. That was a good purchase, dude. It is. <laughs> You've got another like two weeks. No, maybe another week and a half of like very warm, comfortable sitting outside. And then you've got the fall weather coming in where you can sit outside, but you have to have like a sweater on or something. Well, this week's been kind of meh. It's been rainy. Yeah, towards the end of the week, I think it's supposed to get back up into the 70s. And yeah. I wouldn't mind a little bit of that Indian summer coming through, maybe a couple of days of the high 70s. Especially oh, yeah. This weekend for people going home open to the Patriots. So, yeah, that'll happen. It'll definitely happen. Like today was a cool one for us, and it actually rained the last two days here, which is almost unheard of this time of year. We didn't get a lot of rain. We got like 0.2 inches, but yeah, you know, <laughs> it was it washed the car. It washed all the pollen off the car. So I'll take it. <laughs> all right. So anyway, I think we need to finally do take this trilogy to a conclusion and what is that trilogy sir we are wrapping up our, our very first third parter that's right folks we unfold deep space nine with a three-parter <laughs> we are talking uniforms one more time and we're going to dive into new trek and then if there's any honorable mentions out there we can jam on that. So, overall, what do you think of the new Star Trek uniforms? Okay. Um, I'm just going to start with the good. I really like the lower decks uniforms. It's a variation of the 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 the, the maroon ones from the movies. But yeah. it, but it's using the same color scheme as the next generation. Yeah, again, I think they, they very much look like the the uh, unused uniforms from uh, generations. Generations, because they have a high. Do they have a high collar? It did or have a high it? collar. No, I know the ones from generations did. Does lower decks. Yeah, uh, lower decks has a high collar. And then they have like white piping along the lines that you know where they have the black tops and the solid bottoms and they actually look like they just have deltas as communicators. Uh you know what? They do. Oh son of a gun. I'm looking at I'm trying to pull up pictures on IMDB. And yes, it's just deltas. There's nothing behind it. But I think that's for simplicity purpose for animation. 
Ah, but if you That's go ahead a... and look at Captain Riker, he does have the first contact. Um, he's wearing the first contact uniform, yeah. Well, he's not only wearing the first contact uniform, but he's wearing the comm badge that goes along with it. Is he? Oh, he is. You're right. All right, explain that freaking difference to me then. Like, I can't see it, but it's a 2D thing. But explain that difference. Why is a ship like the Titan wearing such a sleek, awesome uniform, and yet we have like a behind, we we have a, a secondary ship wearing a completely different type of uniform? That's not in the U.S. Navy. <clears throat> That's not how it works. No. Um, but I, I guess this is just kind of like an updated version of how the Enterprise was wearing the standard uniforms, but already on Deep Space Nine and Voyager, they were on the jumpsuits, which were, I think, so, I, I heard an explanation that they were like supposed to be for like the frontier duty or stuff like that. But do you know that, where you heard that? You? Maybe. No, it wasn't me. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have had that information. Uh, no, I don't know. Huh? I don't remember. I should say. Right. Hmm. It's. Again, I, I mean, we're talking about thirty-year-old information. I know, and th- I mean that's the thing, right? So, but we saw most Starfleet officers, especially during the Dominion War, wearing those jumpsuits. As they should have been. They weren't jumpsuits. The first contact era uniform was not a jumpsuit. You're right. It wasn't. One was. Remember, they could take it was a jacket, undershirt, and pants. You're right. It was it was the what I don't know stealth uniform. That was front just line. a duty uniform. Yeah, now, like their front line uniform. All right. Well, we'll call it the front line uniform, but we have no evidence to say that there was some decree that said only frontline ships wore them because we saw star we saw starbase officers we saw barkley wearing it at jupiter station in voyager so but then again who the hell knows (laughs) I i think the cerritos they did it for the whole uniform thing but the cali class are like secondary tier ships they're not mm-hmm. they're exploring the new frontier they're retreading areas generally covered by people beforehand so right and they beam down to a place to do second contact these people have already decided not to murder federation citizens so i guess okay look as stealthy and I've heard explanations that maybe this is a symbol of the Federation going away from that Dominion era, uh, the Dominion War era. Tactical. Did they, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. But did they did they ever touch upon the end of the Dominion War in Lower Decks? Not the end of the Dominion War, but they definitely have touched on things about it. Yeah. I'm going to step away from the uniforms for just one second and say, while this is not at all what the producers intended, the way I view Star Trek Lower Decks is it is a. It's a love letter to Star Trek, but it is not meant to 
be Star Trek, i.e. it's not meant to be canon. You said that, and I did. I did. I know, and I know you disagree. I'm I'm just bringing it up because it just feels better for me to be able to see it that way. I know, completely I selfish and unfounded. I think I, I like about it is I just want to consider, like, the Lower Deckers on the Cerritos, like, ultra fanboys. <laughs> Look, I, I have seen plenty of... There, there, there was a trend after the Iraq War was over. The second of, one? Yeah, like between 2012 and like 2017, we started to send people back to Iraq because of ISIS. But right, you had you started to have a group of officers coming up who did not do. Iraq and maybe did nine months on a base or six months on a base in Afghanistan saw next to jack shit with things mm. were established whereas people like me came up building shit from scratch and having to redo doctrine and these kids are coming in they're like well everything's you know they're doing everything by doctrine they weren't inventing shit on the fly yeah I had a hard time with some of these fucking wannabe warrior <laughs> scholars who were coming. Right. This is this is not by regulation. Hey, man, I had to adapt on the fly or die. You yeah. went with a with a literally a decade of blood, sweat, and tears for me and my my generation. You know, laying down all this groundwork, and you went to a base that had been there so long there was a freaking Burger King. Okay. Oh, sweet! They had a Burger King. Did they have chicken fries back then? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know your point. I know your point, and I. Re- but, but again, you also had some leaders who were like, you know, we're going to read the latest, uh, you know, publications, the latest. Like things like a website was called Small Wars Journal, and it was all about the counterinsurgency fight and whatnot. A boss was a big fan of reading that, or going on to the Early Bird website and pulling up all the latest military news. And well, I wasn't against that, and I did read a lot of things that came out. Um, I was not in the. I'm going to sit here and read through. A million and five, you know, treatises and yeah. hell all books coming out about the war. I didn't need to. I lived a lot of it. Right. These young kids, oh my God, David Petraeus is like, oh my God. And, and like, there actually grew <laughs> two, there grew really two camps. Uh, one was the Petraeus camp that was counterinsurgency. The surge was great and all this stuff because it was all Petraeus and his sycophants. And and uh, even there was people who weren't like sycophants, but people looked at it as like, oh my God, this guy's the greatest thing since, you know, sliced bread. And then I, I seem had... to recall the media was on Petraeus' side too after seeing the results of that. For a while. Yeah. But Petraeus 
is a gigantic narcissistic asshole. And oh yeah, yeah, very clearly. General <laughs> officers can be. Um, my boss was actually part of the uh, opposing camp that said the surge really didn't do near as much as they said. He was published really? in a book by Tom Ricks, um, you know, and I I read a couple of his articles, ended up in things like the Army Times, and I'd seen, you know, message board arguments between this guy, my old boss, who actually went back after leading our, our unit in Iraq to uh, teaching history at West Point, and uh, it was just, you know, there were these camps, and I fell more in my boss's camp, not because I was kissing his ass, but because I saw things with him. So, but a lot of these younger guys were coming up and like idolizing some of these people who came up like in like Tommy Franks, H.R. McMaster, uh, mm -hmm. David Petraeus, uh, Jim Mattis, some of these names and they they kind of had all these names are people at the at the top of uh you know directing doctrine right now that that scares the hell out of me very recently very up till very recently jesus <laughs> but my point is even the ones that i mentioned who weren't giant tools um you know, they, they, you know, a lot of them had credentials, credentials that could back, that backed up some of the facts. And there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm going to read Atreus's new book, or I, I want to read General McChrys Stanley McChrystal. That was the guy who they did the movie War Dog starring Brad Pitt about. Oh, yeah. Done that. Yeah. So, I mean, there, you had people who were like, oh, I'm, I'm reading this, or I'm reading the latest, this Navy SEAL who sent about the Bin Laden. I'm like, I just finished reading a great Star Wars novel. <laughs> because you needed the escape, and there's no nothing wrong with that. But I was reading books about Eisenhower and MacArthur and Grant and all this when I was 15 years old. Yeah. And I'd I'd been yeah, you know I by that point I'd been in like a you know with some of these guys maybe ten years longer than they'd been in you know and it was like come on man there, there's other things that's out there you know I'd go on and read you know some of the latest news reports and stuff but when it boiled down to it was these guys were fanboys yeah. Okay. All right. So let me ask you this then. Well, this is going to take us a little bit away from Star Trek, but I think this needs to be explored just a little bit because you bring up an interesting thought process. You, of your own admission, basically were a student of the older convention, the previous generations, Eisenhower, you know, all, all them. And you did this, you studied this early at an earlier age. Mm -hmm. Now, your contention was with the newer generation being these quote unquote pseudo intellectuals for worshiping a lot of them were pseudo some yes yeah, pseudo intellectuals for worshiping 
certain doctrines that supposedly were successful, but in your practical experience, did Jack? Now, I, I, look, I won't say that there was not some successes. I, I just. And one of the I'll, things that I think that some of these guys discounted was my time in Saudi. It's like that wasn't fighting the Iraqis. I was like, no, but I was literally immersed in the culture of a Sunni Arab nation. Okay. Right. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I had to actually. Well, we worked with the Afghanis. Well, dude, the Afghanis are a lot different than the Iraqis. And yeah. Afghanis or the, the Iraqis were a lot different than the Saudis, but still, mm-hmm. there's a little bit more similarity between Iraq and Saudi than there are with the, either one of them in Afghanistan. Yeah. But, but my impression from what you just described is you basically are someone who is a student of Rachmaninoff, Mozart, the Beatles, uh, the Beach Boys, like all, all, like all the, all the art and all the work that actually laid the foundation for what is currently out there. And you're sitting there going, I already know the foundation. I don't need to know this bullcrap that blends all this synthesizer, <laughs> um, uh, you know, a voice altering auto tune with with a beat that that was invented back in 1987. I'm done with that. I don't I, need to I know this. You're, I think you're overreaching a little. You think so? I could my be. Point, I very well could be. My point was is that there were people who claimed to be these, you know, warrior scholars. Really yeah. full of shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the practical side of you saying that. I mean, that's my point. You're trying to. You're you are a practical a scholar, like you. Really practical. Well, yeah. I mean, you're a student of practicality. If it works, do it. If it doesn't work, then throw I mean, it out the window. I'd read I'd read plenty of military theory, some of which was actually on my own, and uh, more often than not, I really what I am. I'm a, don't you dare say humanist. Don't do yeah, that. Don't. I was just going to say, I'm a human. So, I mean, there are going to be times where I want to read something that's like that. And other times I want to go, eh, I'm going to go ahead and read this book called Dynasty, which is all about the Patriots last 20 years. There you so, go. I mean, and, and ooh, that's my wait. point. You didn't need. I, I'm going to go ahead and reread the, the Thrawn trilogy. And yeah. I'm going to feel guilty about it. No, because you already knew your shit, and it was battle tested. Look, and maybe I'm blowing a bunch of smoke up your ass by doing this. I don't mean to, but I. It's it's okay. I. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but my point was is that like Boimler, right? Yeah. Was like a lot. A couple of these guys were Boimlers. Always trying to get ahead, apple polishing. Yeah, okay, interesting. Oh, sir, you studied, uh, you were a big fan of uh, this this one guy's, uh, you know, theories on counterinsurgency. I just read that book. 
That's excellent, sir. We should talk about it. Mm. Mm. Okay. And you would see that and you'd just kind of like roll your eyes. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to be honest. I'm the same. I'm in the same camp. (laughs) I would I would do the same. Professionally myself. (laughs) I'm right there with you. (laughs) So there was this book called uh, Counterinsurgency Warfare and Theory. I read it for a project with the captain's career course at Fort Knox, Kentucky back in 2007. So basically this was me going through another generation of military um, uh, professional development that I need to be able to take the next steps in my career. And we were given a reading list of of books to read and then to present it. And this book was written in like 1950-something by a French army officer uh, that was going through the whole counterinsurgency in Vietnam. Uh, they talked a little bit about the MVM food. They talked a lot about the issues in Algeria at the time. Oh, the Algerians were going for independence. They this talked is all about, straight post-colonialism crap. But they also talked about like where counter uh, where counterinsurgency was successful. Like the, the yeah, did I think it was either China or Afghanistan or something. Like they. It had to be, it, it was like a 10-year plan. You can't just do counterinsurgency quickly and disappear. You have to, it's a long-term thing. It's got to be- You have to change an entire system. generation. Right. Well, there was this, in, in the reissued copy that came out, as we were starting to fight counterinsurgency and people were like dusting off old Vietnam yeah. doc and <laughs> Vietnam and looking for all, any sort of historical documents that might have, some stuff this book became popular again and the reissued version had a copy from a army warrior scholar from the petraeus camp a lieutenant colonel by the name of john noggle um who had written his own book i think it was eating soup with a knife or something like that the guy was these theorists who (laughs) i think uh reach out uh, exceeded his grasp but he was definitely in the petraeus camp but he was kind of one of these modern guys who's like oh well i just read this book uh and i i subscribed to it and i put it into use when helping general petraeus you know develop the counterinsurgency doctrine and it's all forward uh but this thing was written like before I was born, so yeah, um, yeah. So it's, I'm sure it was a great page turner. <laughs> it, it most definitely was not, but it was definitely fascinating. Uh, um, but again, who does that sound like? Yeah, it sounds like Boimler, right? Um, so getting back to it, here's what I think, all right. This is damn. Uh, this is damn it all. <laughs> Fire the torpedoes. All right, but it, it's it's kind of it. There seems to be supporting theories behind it. Starfleet getting past the whole Dominion War. Not a whole lot of Borg activity right now. Mm-hmm. Nemesis, where the Romulans are kind of. 
a shambles. So true. Yeah. I mean, taking out the idea of the star exploding, their government was destroyed. Yes. So now you have a lot of threats kind of off or off to the side. Yeah. And they're starting to maybe lean a little bit more towards the way things used to be at the start of the next generation. And part of their golden age of exploration, they're like 50 years of peace kind of shit. So the uniforms reflect that. Besides, if you're going down there to conduct uh, follow-ups, getting them to sign all the documents, the papers, uh, hand over replicators, uh, do a little trade, I guess it's not as necessary for you to uh, blend in or no. stand out. You can beam down in a bright red or yellow uniform. Hi. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? <laughs> interpret this. Do not. You, I know you don't interpret this as a big bullseye of which I am the color, but. <laughs> yeah, no. OK, I mean, I. I would be so far willing to accept that. I just want them to. And this is how I felt about the the ship designs in the the mid to late 90s when we started seeing those really cool, sleek ships and first contact and stuff. Um, all Borg, all anti Borg designs, right? All all for a sleeker, more more militaristic Starfleet. But you also notice they also weren't like the galaxy class was kind of very similar to the constitution class, very high and exposed. Yeah. Thin necks, weak nacelles. The, the, the galaxy class was still a much hardier ship than the constitution class, but the sovereign class had like no neck and low profiles. So these were low profiles, low shield profiles, squatter, looking a little more maneuverable, but they also had teeth. They were angular. They were less welcoming looking. Agreed. Now, hear me out here, because I'm going to throw out an idea that I know it's not my own, but I don't know where I heard it from. I always granted the nacelles being far away from the ship a pass because... I always felt that those engines generated a lot of radiation. And we know that the warp drive does generate radiation from Star Trek 2. What? When do they deal with radiation in Star Trek 2? <laughs> so, I always figured I I always figured this so that they would is the radiation melted the black off the uniforms uh no maybe we'll see hold on you're jumping ahead of me here (laughs) i'm just saying it is it i am you're right i always felt that the nacelles were put away from the ship to keep it away from the crew for radiation purposes until the defiant until the defiant i know and then the defiant changed it all up which, by the way, which is why they probably never explained why the nacelles are so far away from the ship, officially. Hey, look, Discovery went out of the way and just completely removed the nacelles and have them... 
greatest things that they could ever do. We're just going to make it more complicated to have these nacelles be attached to the ship. Never mind if you suffer from a complete power failure. Like, <laughs> you suffer from a complete power failure and then you restore it. Good luck trying to get your nacelles back. <laughs> you better hope that they didn't launch off far enough away that you can't get it at, at, at impulse. So... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but the, the, that idea was just so juvenile to me. Like <laughs> of discovery. Why don't we jump into their uniforms? Ah, oh, man. My mom told me if I can't say anything nice, I shouldn't say anything at all. Well, when has that ever let you? When has that ever stopped you? Okay. Well, I have an angle here that I think will be actually very constructive. Here's my question to you. When you first saw those uniforms, what was your original reaction? For Discovery, the Discovery uniforms, the 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 blue with the the the, the piping that that had their their uh Honestly, station designation. The first two season uniform I liked. They were pretty sharp looking, right? They were very good looking. I completely agree. Would have been a much better uniform for Picard season. Season one. Absolutely. Because. it Well, that's when it started breaking all the established canon of the. Mm -hmm. you know, different unit crests, you know, on their yep. chests. So they broke that and then the uniforms just look better. Yeah. But again, I mean, so now this is the reverse right so that this is like their front line but they're super special high speed diplomatic well, i guess it is kind of the same the super high speed floor flowerly diplomatic people got to wear the brightly colored not non-threatening military looking pajama uniforms yeah i can company rolled back in on the enterprise going heard we missed the fight bitches what's up yeah yeah you guys didn't leave a little for me? Uh, uh, dude, you're wearing all yellow. Yeah. <laughs> Which was explained in the book, a book, I don't know, between season one and two, to explain the uniform difference, that that was a newly issued type of uniform that was eventually going to be rolled out to the rest of the fleet, but Discovery was still dealing with the old uniform. And Enterprise was top of the line, top of her class, front of the line, so they got their uniform first. You're absolutely correct. Like, there was a front line, you know, explanation for that. In the book. Whatever book well, that is. I mean, in, in, in some ways, you can see that with the lower decks. The Cerritos versus the Titan. Yeah, and I, I mean, I get it, I understand. I feel it's a cheap excuse. I mean, it, it's a cheap excuse, at least for the production of Discovery, to show that those, those discrepancies even exist. Because we all know that Discovery's production was just terribly run, terribly constructed, and just uh, they've been playing. They've been playing sorry ever since. Like again, I'm giving the production for Discovery credit. For them trying to say they're sorry for messing up 
so badly. Like, they're really working hard. Yeah. You know? And they went and doubled down on it in the 32nd century with those <laughs> ugly-ass gray uniforms. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> ah, they did. Oh, after all of us talking about, like, the muted gray, the awful gray, <laughs> like, just... And then they did that. Prison now, you've gray. watched Prison Gray. You've watched season four. I haven't. Is it the same uniform as season three? I mean, they were wearing a lot of, like, the, the first two season uniforms most of the time in they season three. For most of the first two season uniforms uh, in season three, even though they were, like, the only ones wearing those because Discovery was the ship from the past that nobody quite trusted. But right from the fucking past and how could you not blow them out of the fucking stars after a thousand years right oh, yep that's right we're gonna sneak in and, and and stab you with our obsidian knife uh through your kevlar body uniform i <laughs> <laughs> i'm reading a little bit of um um Jack disdain Apple. Yes. A little disdain from you on, on Discovery here. Look, I'll freely admit that most of the seasons have generally gotten better since season one's shitstorm. The thing I will take away is I enjoyed the uniforms. They just were out of place. Yes. I mean, everything could have been solved. Set Discovery from year one in the 32nd century. Yeah, or not even that far. Just 100 years from Picard. Just 100 years from Picard. The Klingons would have been away for whatever time period, whatever, and we still would have been pissed off about their change, but still. Um, most of it would have worked. Most of it would have worked. I'm right there with you. Yep. Especially when they start showing how integrated the starships looked. And... <laughs> They didn't even get that integrated during the movies. No. <laughs> when they had movie money. <laughs> it really does show how much a dollar goes now in comparison to special effects versus what it was back in the day. Uh, let me say this. Discovery's uniforms? I like the tactical vest. I did. It was like a, I mean, we used to, before we had to go everywhere in body armor, we had what we called the LBE, the load bearing equipment. And it was one of those ugly green, thick webbing belts mm. that you would hook basically a suspenders in that you could hang your couple, like your compass was on one side. Oh yeah. On the other. But the belt, you could put your pistol on there and then your ammo can, um, cans and your canteens. Uh, but then they had developed the LBV, the load-bearing vest, which was a vest that you could hang the shit on. And even though they did issue, uh, the original idea was to clip all this shit onto uh, the body armor, which only works when you're not trying to crawl in and out of a small hatch in a tank. Yeah. They developed vests that went on over your body armor that held all of your 
shit on and then you take that off when you're in your tank and then when you're getting out you clip that on so it had like your magazines and shit but tactical vests that throw on where you have stuff that's great but this was a, a vest that burnham had when she's crash lands on the planet in, in the first episode of the third season and she's got the tactical vest on it's got her phaser her tricorder the little lights around the shoulders is way more advanced than what Kirk had 10 years later. Yeah. Being down jackets in the cold weather. No. <laughs> they chose not to beam down a planet that whole had cold weather. Yep. <laughs> no. And um, I appreciate hearing this frustration from you. I I, I know you felt it. And um, and I do try not to be a buzzkill when it comes to new Star Trek, and I am sorry for failing miserably as much as I have well, in that regard. Okay, we've both griped, but I'm saying those are things I liked, but the placement in the timeline was bad. It was. It was absolutely awful. They should have just moved forward, and they didn't. Now, uh, Picard... Season before, two. Before we do oh, that, yeah. I think we need to go into Strange New Worlds because it kind of dovetails very nicely off of Discovery. Okay. I like the I like the Discovery. I'm sorry. I like the <laughs> Strange New Worlds uniforms. They are a nice... I don't mind that they kind of peeled back on the black collar because it did look a little high and tight, even though it that did. is different than Kirk's that, that was they had the little... It does look like they're wearing a little black mock turtle underneath the, the shirt, yeah. But. I agree, and it, it it will eventually change where they probably do wear a black turtleneck underneath that that Who thing. Knows, which if it's built like Anson Mount, I guess it's okay to not wear an undershirt. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard the description of uh, Strange New Worlds as being this a show about a very dynamic and lovable guy. Surrounded by women. Um, and Spock? Spock is not that lovable. No. But it, we, we, I mean, the entire show doesn't rest on Spock. The show rests on Anson Mount. Yeah. But the secondary lead is clearly Ethan Peck's Spock. He gets um, and, and I'm I'm not saying that this is a correct assertion, by the way. I'm just pointing it out. I'm just I'm bringing it up because I I can see where it's coming from, but I don't necessarily agree with it. I mean, if if they're complaining on the fact we don't get nearly enough Mbenga and and Hammer, I'm right with you. <laughs> we we should have gotten more Hammer. We definitely should. We got a lot of Mbenga. And I look forward to more of his story. There was like four episodes that he was barely in. No, true. I, I there is an opportunity for but Mbenga. There was like only four episodes that Hammer was actually in. Yeah. Fucking crime because Hammer was awesome. <laughs> he was great. He was a very he was a very cool departure from the typical Starfleet officer, but who was by the book, by the way, and not insubordinate. Yeah. I, I mean, would you agree snarky. with that? He was snarky. 
it was snarky. Pro- yeah. But but he respected the chain of command. He also could back it up too. Exactly. Asshole, you at least have to back it up. Like James Cameron. <laughs> James Cameron, when he was in a fight with Fox about uh, certain scenes in Avatar and having them fund it, he said, listen, I made Titanic, which funded this $500 million movie facility that I'm currently filming my next movie in. You will listen to me. And I want this scene in it. And guess what? You know what Fox said? Uh, we'll allow you to have it. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't argue with it. He got the results that he wanted. He was supposed to get. I'm not a fan of James Cameron in, in storytelling, but I'm a fan of his tech, technicality. Yeah. Well, anyway. Uh... You know, it's another take, like the fifth take or sixth take we've had on the original series uniform. Oh, God. Yeah. The little the little uh, Delta insignia is kind of as uh, part of the shoulders and sleeves, I guess, of the. Yeah. Yeah. To give it more flair. Yeah. Chris Pine, Um, 37 pieces of flair. (laughs) <laughs> now chris do you understand that we are in an industry where we need a little bit more flair I, I have the bare minimum of 30 for seven yes but janine over here has 48 pieces of flair and she gets a lot of tips are you are you saying we're going to get more tips with more flair <laughs> office space anyone <laughs> uh, uh... And they also changed the the logos were no longer stitched on. They looked like they were metal. They uh, were metal. Clipped on. Which, by the way, makes no practical sense to me whatsoever because they didn't designate anything. They just designated that they were part of Starfleet. But Uh, remember, they still had the like the the little like the. Oh yeah, the the unit insignia. Not the unit insignias. They had the because those everybody had those. They had the division insignia. That's what I meant. The division insignia, the science insignia, the the medical ops. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, I'll back away from that a little bit. Do was they actually used them as like ID cards because they had their name of them on Discovery. Oh, yeah. And I think... Were they and, like dog tags? I, I kind of think they were. And I can't remember if these things came off the New Strange New Worlds one. But Discoveries definitely did. So, I don't mind that. Yeah. Um, they went back to, if you remember in the cage, they beamed down with, like, field jackets. And... Strange New Worlds, they did beam down a few times in jackets. It was very appreciative. Yeah, yeah. No, and those are sharp jackets, by the way. I liked them a yeah, lot. Also, I kind of want also, one. <laughs> they also have brought back the tactical vest type things from Discovery. Much better looking phaser rifles than that squirt gun looking thing that Kirk used 
in uh, where no man has gone before to kill his old friend. Yeah, they did. That base that had a satellite dish on it. Looked like it. <laughs> that was like the only time that you'd ever saw it. But uh, and you know it is what it is. But if you look at the uh, the uniforms from the cage and where no one has gone before, they were like <laughs> cardigan sweaters with high puffy collars. Yeah. <laughs> which i guess might look akin to some of those you know those high necked you know cardigan sweaters that you'd see like the irish and the scots wear you know fishing in the north sea yeah yeah like the over it, it was an over it it was an overabundance of cotton to protect you against the elements, basically. Yeah. Or wool. Yeah, wool. It was wool. It was wool. You're absolutely right. Um, but, you know, they went to be sleeker. It's probably because people actually have personal trainers. Uh, yeah. What I did like is that, and while I think La'an and Uhura wore the traditional mini skirts uh she did she wear a skirt or did she wear pants under it no number one una una wore pants but she wore like a skirt with pants yeah which i I thought that was a pretty sharp uniform i liked that uniform it it was a little less 60s sexist yeah, I, I mean, I never liked the idea of the women being forced into those skirts like that. I did not like ever. The idea of them being forced. If it was their choice. That's a whole other thing. But it, let's be honest, they were forced back in the 60s. And honestly, <laughs> if first season, first two seasons of Next Gen, they were all forced in those uniforms. Yeah, uh, yeah, both- I mean, those those. Those, those uniforms in TNG in the first two seasons were a crime against humanity. <laughs> oh, my God. Nearly crippled their star. It really did. <laughs> Let's talk about Big Red in, in uh, Strange New Worlds for a second. Big Red? Big Red. The future Captain Pike. Admiral Pike. Admiral Pike. Yeah. Well, one, I was glad that they brought any look of those old movie uniforms back. I know you are not a big fan because you think they tinkered with it too much. I do. I like that they have the spirit of it, but why not just have it? Why not just have that uniform? Why add that shit to the shoulders there? Well, I guess it was, that was unnecessary. Shit in the shoulders that they were already wearing. I know, but it wasn't necessary. I mean, none of it was necessary. I get that. But Paramount and and CBS are now in under the same company. There's no reason why they have to modify anything other than merchandising. But Discovery and Strange New Worlds have no merchandising opportunities whatsoever. So, why did they have to do it? That is a good point. And why don't we have, you know, 
a hammer action figure. We don't have any uh, action figures from New Trek. Yeah. They, oh, you know what would be cool? A Saru action figure with that. The, the <laughs> yeah. Which they only used like once, and I really think we need to see again. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I, I just... All right, we've gone through Discovery. We've gone through Strange New Worlds. The 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 whole idea is, and, and we've gone through Lower Decks. I just feel like, and the argument can be said, there's never been a time for more Star Trek than now. Agreed. Understood. But I feel like there's never been a drought of original Star Trek like now. And I think what I think that we have, because and that's this is an entirely separate debate. We're going to go down. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely. I should probably shouldn't have opened it up yet. What I think we do have is a sheer lack of fucking consistency when it comes to the uniforms. Well, they're trying to do something new every year and just makes things more confusing. Just stop. Just stop. I mean, yeah, didn't they change the uniforms really between season three? Fell off. Right. Didn't they change the uniforms between season three and season four of Discovery, which was unnecessary? Well, to be honest with you, the gray sucked. Gray did suck, but hey, they the, still changed it the, again? The uniforms are very similar in design, I think, and cut, but they went back to the old color... You know, the whole uniform is a color. Like, Burnham's the captain. She's wearing red. Right. She was science. She was wearing blue. All the randos who you never talk about all were yellow. That's right. Yeah. And Culber was wearing white because New Trek has decided that all medical personnel are going to wear white. I'm okay with that idea, by the way. Yeah. It's based out of the white lab coat, which gives which gives it, an authority. It was good enough for McCoy, Crusher, Bashir, and the doctor. Um, and give them a blue it's coat. You're right. Y'all. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I'm not arguing. I understand where they're coming from with the yellow, the white, the with the white suits. But you're right. Well, they, it was... <laughs> what happens if there's a spurting thing? Well, maybe you can get it out with club soda. Replicated club soda? Really? It's either that or hydrogen peroxide, so you'll be lucky. <laughs> anyway. And here's the thing, Picard. I mean, they didn't really show too many Starfleet uniforms. No, but they had one uniform in the, the, the second episode of season one then they had a completely different uniform in the first episode of season two well and at least here's the thing at least those uniforms were consistent throughout the season they were not though you but here's the thing is you see like a different uniform that picard and raffi are wearing in the flashback scenes which of course and it is like whatever they're basically ds9s yeah, with just before the before first contact. You know what? I really wish they had just stayed with the first contact one. If you wanted to add a new uniform for 
$23.99, cool, but why'd you have to change uniforms like four years after the last movie you were in? You didn't need to. Again, you're not yeah. merchandising, so. Does the U.S. military change its uniforms that much in that span of time? Now, remember, like, we're talking about a 30-year difference between TNG and Picard. Well, when I joined the Army in 2003, my standard uniform was the old BDU pattern, which was, like, green, tan, brown, and black. Mm -hmm. Shades. Um, maybe not even tan in that. You had black leather boots, you had a brown undershirt. The semi-formal uniform was the Class A that was like the olive drab. And then you had your dress blues, which were your formal uniform. And then if you were deployed into a desert environment, you had the BD, uh, you had the DCUs, the desert camouflage uniform, which mm. was tans and brown and whatnot of various varieties. Yep. So you had your 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 woodland for your more vegetation and then your desert uniform. The Marines, even when they went to the digital camouflage, continued to have the two different uniforms. Uh, the green when they were back here stateside and then the the tan when they went overseas. So in two thousand Six is when uh, 2005 is when they started bringing the ACU, and that was like the official uniform basically going on until 2015 when they brought in. So that's what 10 years, yeah, that's 10 years. That was for changing doctrine, right? No, not really. No, okay. Uniform sucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, changing doctrine, I guess. But yeah, you're, you're right. No, no. I mean, they just proved bad in, in, in anything. Yeah. Came back with the OCPs, which were it, it was a green, tan and brown combo, which was. Effect, it was similar to the multicam they used in Afghanistan. But generally just been wearing that uniform because with a little dust on it it blends okay better than generally stuck with that as a general combat uniform even for desert okay 10 years that was yeah that was one change in 10 years okay i mean the bdus lasted about 20 you know from the early all right okay all right Grab from you know Vietnam. I mean, it depends, but uh, hmm. you know, if you could just get through one series without changing your uniform every couple of years, that'd be great. Yeah, I, uh, I Voyager, Voyager, and the in the and Enterprise, Voyager, and Enterprise. Yeah, were really the only ones that didn't change at all. I mean, the original Trek did ish, but. Yeah, that's an ish. I mean, well, they established their main entirely where no one has gone before as a completely different uniform from. Yeah. But anyway, I don't know. 
the Deep Space Niney looking black with the colors up top, even though they had some stripes, was not bad. I didn't mind the Picard Season 2 uniform. I liked the Picard Season 2 uniform. I thought it was good. It stays into Season 3. Just keep it consistent. And by the way, by the way, I got to tell you about Season 3. I don't know. I I wanted to share this saying. I want I want to it. It might be. I wanted to share this with you because the source that I heard this from is a very trustworthy source. He is a TNG fan. Okay. I know. I know. Like a true fan. He actually put together the special features for Star Trek The Next Generation Blu-ray set. He knows the the everyone. Okay. Anyway, he has seen like the first six episodes of season three of Picard. And he says it is fantastic. And he has hated the first two seasons of Picard. Hated it. Like as almost as much as me. Is this friend really you? No. No, I wish I was, though. (laughs) But he's an insider. And the person who's in charge of season three is a guy that is of Star Trek. He, like, he worked for Star Trek during the legacy era in the 90s. Like, he knows what Star Trek is. What what is this, like, the, the prophets? You are of Star Trek. Yeah, it is. It is. Unabashedly so. Like... The if this man of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, well, Stewart is an actor who is a terrible writer. So <laughs> that no, that's true. It's true. I, I, but he's a hell of an actor. He's he's an amazing actor, but he should never be a producer or a writer ever because make give him one of those. You know, executive producer credits moving along. Well, yeah, give them the ceremonial so he gets gets some more money and makes him more likely to be in in the next uh, the season. But fine. However, nothing but good things I've heard about season three, which is something to look forward to. Thank goodness. Honestly, I am very encouraged by this. Like, this is technically what Picard season one should have been. What from what I've heard. From what I've heard. So. Maybe it's a time travel thing where they go back and. Oh, Jesus Christ. I hope they don't do any of that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They do wipe out seasons two of the card. Oh, maybe that'd be great. However, by the way, Worf, fan fucking tastic. Like the most badass Worf we've ever seen, according to this guy. And he is a Worf fan. Like he knows Worf. He is a Klingon fan. You mean he just ran into battle wearing just his Mechleth, Doctog, a Batleth, and a Star Trek and a Starfleet Com badge? And he's hanging his two dongs? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Wait, didn't they describe that? That that's what Klingons have in Discovery? Two of them? <laughs> Is that what they said? They did. Klingons have two dongs. <laughs> So you hang both of them to to make it edgy. That's what you're supposed to do on television nowadays, man. 
<laughs> and that's what Klingons have. Klingons. <laughs> I'm so glad that got under your skin so badly. That was awesome. <laughs> Man, I don't have claspers. <laughs> that was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> that was mostly me irritating the shit out of you, but I love the reaction. It really and I... Make you question how things went with Jadzia then. Um, yeah, she was happy. <laughs> I can't go any further. Oh my god, I'm not gonna go there. Oh, nope, nope, You're nope. Misogynist. Nope. No, I mean that's the thing. I mean, as soon as I said it, I realized. She might not have been. <laughs> it would have been awful. I mean, yeah. Again, Klingons are not Klingons. No, they are not. And that's the thing, right? Like, you, you know, Legacy Star Trek was all about the aliens are human analogs to reflect our current society. Which is why you can mate with them. Exactly. Because, <laughs> Yeah. And they had an entire couple, they had an entire entire story arc in Enterprise about whether it was feasible for Vulcans and humans to even have a child, which I thought was great. Mm -hmm. Like, that that was, was that's real, that's real science right there. And they had that same question in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, whether. Go ahead. No, that, that, that was. An entire like subplot of oh yeah that Jazzy if Jazzia could have Worf's baby you're right absolutely and so and that's course, when we saw the course. here's to the losers bless them all yeah. <laughs> um I have all of his songs downloaded by the way oh you could sing apparently that was supposed to be Frank Sinatra Jr. they wanted Frank Jr. to sing. But he wanted to be an alien. And they're like, no, we want to be a human. He's like, well, call me back when you want an alien. Oh, well, I love, I love. Uh, oh, my God. What's his name? It's not Frank. James Darren. It's James Darren. But what was he in the, the Dick show? Fontaine. Dick Fontaine. I love Dick Vic. Fontaine. Oh, Vic Fontaine. Well, I love both Vic and Dick. But Vic was Vic was my favorite. I know, I know. You can. I didn't even hear that that hat hitting the microphone, which is how much shame I brought upon my family just now. <laughs> you want to know how I get through my days when I just want to choke the living dog shit out of people at work? <laughs> you fantasize about choking the living dog shit out of me? No, not usually. <laughs> But, Just look right now. <laughs> but we have this program um, where you can reward people with like recognition points through the, the company website. And they can go and they start building this cache of points. And for a certain amount of points, you can get swag or you can get gift cards to like Home Depot and stuff like that. So it's designed yeah. to help motivate people. Hey, you do a great job. Here's 5,000 points. I like that. Like the, the, the lowest denomination is like 2,000 points that you need. So, 
after a while I was, you know, I was writing almost like I was writing army awards. Thank you for your, uh, you know, hard work going in, helping this guy in this town on this shit. And it was fine, but after a while I started getting bored and I'm like, thank you for fighting the epic uh, trouble monster in such and such a town. <laughs> Without your valor, the, you know, the town would have been crushed by the invading horde or <laughs> you're like we shall sing songs of your great deeds <laughs> we, we shall sing songs and revelry a couple of times yeah <laughs> you and your house and your house <laughs> from what, what what was that episode i don't remember but it that was, it was the, on a view screen wasn't it like huh? Galron, the actor who plays Galron's just sitting there in the chair and he's talking to the view screen. He's like, Glory to you and your house with those big eyes. <laughs> like, no, that's what he would say when he would go. You're thinking of the video game. This was the oh. episode of uh, first episode of season five of uh, Deep Space Now where they infiltrate uh, the Klingon military headquarters to yeah join the order of the batleth or whatever it is to be, become you know to, to uncover the changeling you know they think Gowron's the yeah there he's after drinking all night fighting and whatnot he's they're, they're about to get the badge and that's what he's doing Gowron's giving them badge and he's giving them glory to you and your <laughs> the eyes pop yeah so that's what I that's what I'll do. Be like glory to you and your house. Yeah. <laughs> I love how memeable Star Trek has become in, in the last like five years. Like, yeah, it's true. It it really has become so like it's it's thanks to the internet, like Star Trek is just so mainstream now through memes. It is like and I mean, to think that think about the culture when it was live, when TNG was live until 1994, would that have ever passed? No. Not at all. Well, I mean, you you were singing like Spock T-shirts and stuff in the in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, when the movies oh, were yeah. back. And the people who wore them were well outside of college because they couldn't get beat up. But you and I were in middle school, my friend. <laughs> we were in middle school, the worst time to be alive. <laughs> but there have been Star Trek references in TV shows forever. Yes, no, and that's true. Ace Ventura, uh, you, know, a, you know, Ace is Captain's talking log. to Captain's Log as he jumps into Snowflake's tank. I mean... <laughs> But that was classic Star Trek. It's TNG Trek right now that is like really memeable, well, which I are. find crazy. Like I'm, I'm finding more references to TNG than all the others. Well, true. You have more to choose from and whatnot. One of the best ones, though, from the original series is like <laughs> Spock. I want you to swear to me. Fuck you, Jim. It's like no, no, no. Like make a promise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You sent that to me. That was great. <laughs> I sent that to my wife. We usually <laughs> when, I'll, when I'll show her these 
Trek meme, she'll like, am I supposed to get this? <laughs> Guess not. But she, she looked at that and she's like, <laughs> yeah. That means it's good. <laughs> hands down, I would have loved to have seen that live. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It would have also worked very well with McCoy. Actually, it would have worked. Oh, they they, they passed up the perfect opportunity in, in Star Trek Four to do that. What? Oh. Swear to me, Spock. <laughs> Damn you, Jim. They wouldn't yeah. you. <laughs> they wouldn't have said fuck. I double shit on you, <laughs> Captain. <laughs> or something. Dumbass on you. Double dumbass. <laughs> I've never heard that ever before. Oh, double dumbass on you. Like <laughs> Or it was did they use the, the R word? Oh, they did. They oh, did, they, right? They called him a Rowski. Yeah, Rowski. <laughs> they Rusky. did call him a Rusky. What do you think? Well, he's a Rusky. <laughs> of course he's a Rusky, but he must be like Yeah. Oh boy. It was the eighties. You gotta love it. I'm not saying it's appropriate. I'm just saying that none of us are endorsing it. None of us are endorsing it. Color Yes. Which is this this they did do they actually did do this. Spock, where are we on those calculations? One damn minute, Admiral. Yeah. (laughs) They did, that's right. And then at one point when when um, the Jillian figures out that they're trying to take the whales, Spock turns to Kaz and goes, permission to use a colorful metaphor, sir. <laughs> well, then, then it goes all the way back to Star Trek 6. It's like, that's, Uhura's like, Captain, Starfleet is, is requesting us that we return to Starbase to be decommissioned. And then Spock just looks up, I believe, He's like, if I were human, I believe the response would be, go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> if I were human. If I were human. <laughs> that was the perfect Spock moment. I mean, it, it really was the encapsulation of everything we knew of Spock up to that point. And it was such a relief to hear him say that. To err is human. Do not feel the need to insult me, Captain. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm back from one of the original series episodes. Yeah, he was funny. Yeah, it was that was very highbrow humor, by the way. Like, it, I mean, it was a humor that is not said nowadays. It's not done. Like people go for you know quick quick qu- uh, quips and chirps. You know, that's not how it's done now. When Chekhov's interviewing that that yeah. guy because he thinks he's the one of the assassins. He's like, "Yeah, you ever heard of Russian epic Cinderella?" He drops it. If shoe fits, well. yeah, Probably. yeah. They was doing that to, he's doing that to Lieutenant Dax. Crewman that was Dax. Lieutenant Dax. Yeah, yeah Crewman Dax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Uhura's got her head buried in her hands, like. <laughs> And Kim Cattrall uh, just is looking up like so exasperated, like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, now we're delving into like just good nostalgia moments. And 
and whatnot. I think we need to start wrapping it up here. Um, I think we've talked a lot about what we felt about the uniforms. Were there any uniforms that we missed? I mean, the Red Angel uniform, I just want to say, was a BS like version of um, of Iron Man. Well, yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> everybody wants to be Iron Man. Everyone wants to be Iron Man. Matt Damon wanted to be Iron Man in The Martian. Yeah. The Martian. Well, Matt Damon did it better. He. <laughs> and he also plays Loki in in in, uh, in the MCU. So. Did you see Lord uh, Love and Thunder yet? I did. Yeah. What'd you it think? It was fantastic. I thought it was great. Oh, I thought. Do we need to do a. All right, you know what? That's our next episode. Let's do that. Do we want to do Thor? Do you want to? Do we want to review the phase? What are we in phase four? Or do we want to do a it's review? phase four. We already really talked about phase four. Yeah, we, we, we talked about like phase four. Part one. <laughs> it's almost over. I mean, now we can talk about. Let, let's just talk about Thor. I I, I want to. I'm good with that too. So well, let's talk about that. Um. DT, I just want yes. to say, this past year working with you on this podcast has been a delight for me. I'm going on record and saying that. And I look forward to each and every recording night that we do this on. And thank you for being a true friend. And uh, I appreciate down it. Down the road and back again. Back again. The heart is true. and You're a pal and a confidant. And a confidant, yeah. yeah. Thank you for being a friend. I didn't mean to go down that road, but I, I apparently did. But we came back down again. We did. <laughs> but you know what? I'm never going to give you up. I'm never going to let you down. I'm never going to turn around and desert you. Thank you, Rick. <laughs> By the way, the Golden Girls theme song still great. It's one of the greatest. It's right up there. It's right oh, yeah. up there with all of the greatest. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. <laughs> there are people who will do live covers of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, South, uh, not South Park. Um, Family Guy has done at least like a couple riffs off of it already. Well, I know they did it on their um, album they released back in like 2006. Yeah, that was a long they did, time ago. Where Brian and Stewie. We do all the uh, 80s theme music. Yeah. <laughs> and that was when they did uh, Rickroll, the, the uh, Never Gonna Give You Up. No, not on the CD. They did that. Oh, it wasn't on that? Oh, man. That was the same year. Yes, I think so. Well, anyway. My sentiments to you, my friend. I appreciate everything, and thank you. And this has been fun. Yeah, it has been. And folks, don't take this as a, a symbol of like, this is like, we're going on a long hiatus. We're just being grateful, right? Taking this time to be grateful. All of these P.S. McKay's been- spaceship exploded on his, the way to his home planet. What? P.S. McKay's spaceship exploded on the way to his home planet <laughs> and never to be seen again. <laughs> From the Simpsons. With Poochie. Right. 
P.S. McKay never left home. No, don't do that. Oh, oh God. Oh, the hey, worst. The controversy with this real quick. Like with it, the new it, with the new quantum leap. Yeah. Is Count Bakula never going to come back to it or. Uh, no, never say it, never. Cancel. The door is the door is completely open for him to be there. He just was Next, he was written to be in the pilot for him. Is this like this like a sequel or is it just like a reboot or whatever? Well, Ernie Hudson, right? Ernie Hudson? Yes. No. Yeah, it's Ernie Hudson. Ernie is in this show, and he plays a character that was in the original Quantum Leap. He was affected by Sam Beckett. And uh-huh. so he's restarting the program. It's supposed to be a continuation of the original show. Um, and he's restarting the program, maybe to look for Sam Beckett. We don't know. But if if he was originally in the pilot, Sam Beckett was written in the pilot. And the way I see it, and I don't know if you watched the video that I sent you by Popcast, but they do a pretty good summation of it. Um, people are pissed that Scott Bakula is not in it. Bakula gave, uh, sent out a, a mention of like, Listen, just FYI, I'm not involved with the new show, but I was in the original script and I just I didn't I didn't see that it worked very well. But I I, I do see a show of someone leaping into another person's shoes to try to make right one what once went wrong as a good and solid idea and keep leaping, my friends. And that's a very good message, right? Um, I think what happened was Scott Bakula didn't get the executive producer credit that he wanted and that he was written in such a minuscule way that he didn't feel it did Sam Beckett enough justice. So that being said, it doesn't mean that we won't see Sam eventually. They just got to hash some shit out. They got to hash it out. They do have to hash it out. And, by the way, Universal already extended a TV show to Scott Bakula that he's currently working on. So, he wasn't going to be involved in this new Quantum Leap very much originally. Screw Universal. Bring him back to Paramount. <laughs> Let's bring Jonathan Archer back. Well, that too. That too. I feel like him as a, a captain, he was just written so inconsistently. Um, here's, here's what you need. Do you ever hear the fan theory that uh, Sam Beckett left into left into the body of Jonathan Archer? No, but that would work perfectly. That would work perfectly. Was he just stuck in the body of, of Jonathan Archer that whole time? That's a concept, dude. That is high concept. That is high concept stuff. <laughs> so anyway, there is nothing malicious going on with the new Quantum Leap show um, against Scott Bakula in any way, as far as I can tell. I just I'm not interested to see it because it's not a continuation of Scott. Uh, of Sam Beckett's story. That's all. Yes. So, and I'm not holding anything against them. It's just, I'm not going to make time for it. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, with that said, 
Let's leap on out of here. All right, Ziggy. Take me out. <laughs> Al, I want to leap to 1991, please. Oh, boy. You missed your cue. You missed your cue. <laughs> you were the big fan. Remember? I was. You're right. On that note, everyone, you guys keep dreaming. We'll keep working. So long, folks. Thanks, folks, for everything, and we'll see you on the high ground. Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by Alpha Site Productions, produced by DT Cavman and PS McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow PS McKay on Twitter at PS McKay, or go to thosescifiguys.com for past episode information. 